You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hello, everyone. Um, geez, I don't know about you, but I am tired again, just staying up super late. I, mean, I was a little bit... It's funny when you watch a game like that last night, you know, like... Um, I was pissed at Drake Kajulia because it's like, just let this game end. At, I know. wasn't mad at him. I fell asleep. I, I had a re... I, when I woke <laughs> up, I rewound the DVR and watched it. Like, I'm just... I'm getting that intermittent sleep. But thank, thankfully, it ended pretty quickly after the uh, intermission. So, um, Russ, you wanted to mention something about... Yeah, I got a little pre-show rant. I think Eck will appreciate this. So, anytime you go shopping at let's say a Lowe's or a Home Depot or and even a car dealership I could throw into that mix. If you are if you are consulting your wife or your significant other, but really I think this, this this one calls for a woman's touch. I think companies create colors just to muddy up the mix and get your wife's attention. And I'll give you an example. Like I'm buying a fence, right? Because my fence was smashed by an 800 pound tree. And there's a comp there's a company that has a color that my wife liked, and it's called like Hempstead Powder Bronze. And you know already it's a special order, but it's the most special of the special orders, so it takes the longest. <laughs> it's it's just like everything is wrong about it, except it looks good. I get it; it really does look good. But guys don't care. Black and white are perfectly acceptable fence colors for men, and men wouldn't care. They could live the rest of if if I have a white one again, great. If I have a black one, great. Fence colors. It's pretty funny. I never thought about that. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, we have a white fence here, but like it's. Yeah, uh, but if you had an option. No, I came with the house, so I don't even think about it. Like, I, no, that's right. But on your next fence, if you have an option and you start talking about it with your wife, watch what happens. Yeah, yeah when, when an 800 pound gorilla knocks over your fence and you need a new fence, yeah. then it's. You know, I mean, I've had the issue of like, we have a debate. It's funny, um, a little bit countered what you're saying a little bit. Now, we have a debate because my wife's an engineer, so she's very practical with everything. Okay. Every room in our house has white walls on it, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, I don't want just white walls. So you're I, the color person. Okay. You know, I like a little, I like, I like color. I like different kinds of shades of things. Yeah, he wants eggshell instead of white. Right. No, 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 not like that bad. You like, know, like when, I know the, in, and I paint, and I'm the one who's going to paint the wall, so I, believe me, I get it. Like, I painted plenty of white walls in my time in our house um, and our house before this. But I used to think paint swatches was the bane of my existence when you wanted to do that and you put 20 yeah. different colors on the wall. But now I'm thinking fence colors has now. Fence is another level because that's outside the house. That's a totally, see, like, that's a totally different thing. Like I agree with you there. That should really just be like either just black, white, or wooden, you know, like. That's it. Let me just briefly bring up my pet peeve because in Buffalo we get, CBC and we get the playoff games on NBCSN and I watch them on NBCSN because it's in high def and we only get regular, you know, uh, basic, basic broad, you know, um, standard definition for no CBC. HD of CBC? Yeah, and there's no HD for CBC in Buffalo on cable. I, I don't understand why, but that's on purpose. That's definitely yeah. On purpose. Yeah, I think I think they don't want to. They, yeah, it must be something with the Canadian TV, American yeah. TV re regulations. So any so anyway, um, we've gone through this the last few years with the McDonald's random red couch commercial, with the the Geico a treadmill commercial with the Bruin and the Flyer fan. Yeah. The the winner for the most annoying award through the first two rounds, clearly to me, is the Kia Cadenza commercial with uh, the actress Christina Hendricks walking out in this elegant black gown and all these chauffeurs opening up the door for her. And she walks by them and gets into a friggin' Kia, which is like a Yugo. It's like... You're not getting into a Cadillac. You're not getting into an Audi or a Mercedes. You're getting into a Kia. So I mean, it's the most ridiculous commercial. So here, let me get dressed in my finest and get into a Ford Festiva. I don't know, Mike. This <laughs> network, 
Not the, not the one you're talking about, but the My Shiny Hiney. And I think that one's got a beat. I haven't seen that one. You have not seen that one? No. If you, I haven't like, seen that one either. I've been watching a lot of this on Canadian TV too. So I don't know, like a lot. I mean, it's funny. Like, I, um, I haven't seen that at all. That's pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's horrendous. Just look it's, it up online. You'll see. It's horrendous. Christina Hendricks is the best thing about about the uh, the commercial, but come on, the premise is so ridiculous. <laughs> anyway. okay. No, I, I, the one I, I mean, the, the one I the one I really think is funny, like because we live in such a weird era of like of, of you know global warming, real, not real, whatever, fake news, all this stuff. So the one that gets me is the is the Hyundai electric car commercial that you keep saying, like, which is on. That's on a lot too. Are you? Oh know, yeah, yeah. Like it's the most fuel efficient car in America, whatever. And they have people on there like, you know, I'm not really a tree hugger. Yeah. You know? And then people are like, you know, they go through all this. Like, ah, oh, you know, I could care less about the environment. I'm surprised I'm buying this car. It's like that kind of thing. It's like, really, people, you just care less about the environment. Is that really why you want to sell your car, your electric car? Like you build an electric car because, you know, it's like, oh no, I don't care. You know, whatever. I never thought I'm not the kind of guy who would buy an electric car. You know, I don't eat soybeans. That kind of. Thing. It's like, what the hell is wrong with people? Well, I'll give you a worse one. I'll give you a worse one. Um, I'm trying to think. What is the – oh, Steakums. So on the radio, Steakum has an ad that basically says – it basically kills vegan. And it, and and it, the commercial sort of is, is weirdly worded because it's like there's a woman talking, so they think only women could be vegans. And <laughs> he's talking about how it's mean to eat a cow. And the guy's like, well, I don't care. They taste great. <laughs> And, and it's just a total vegan bashing commercial. And then, by the way, Steakums is a family-owned business. And it's like, here's the thing about Steakums, okay? They were always the worst, yes. the cheapest and the worst. So I don't even care if you out there are a meat eater. What I care about is not only are you bashing vegans, how about you taste your own product because it sucks? <laughs> Not eating there. Not not one. Podcast brought to you by Kia and Steakum. <laughs> All right, ready? We're gonna start the show here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before flat. we lose any other potential uh, flat frozen, yep, yeah, flat frozen meats. I agree. Um, I can't stand cold cuts. I'm just throwing that out there as well. So anyway, all right, here we go. Hello, hockey world. It's Thursday, May fourth. May the fourth with you, 2017. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm Michael Agello. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm always right. Let me tell you why. All right. <laughs> here's the thing. What did I say yesterday about Ovechkin? I said he was a choke artist, and I was right, too. <laughs> what did I say what happened in the game? He said he was looking a little old for his age, like the great hair. I've never said he looked old. I never say he chokes. I'm not, I, don't, I don't ever say players choke, by the way. So, no, I said that he does not respond well to criticism. That if, he, if people go after him and say that he is not – He's too aggressive or whatever. He will not pick up his game and play more aggressive. Like you guys said, he's going to come out like he was on fire. He will instead cower, which is what he did in that game. I mean, Ovechkin was as invisible as you could be for Ovechkin. Four penalty minutes, you know, retaliatory penalty minutes, by the way. You know, and that's for the most part. Two shots on goal. Two shots on goal for Ovechkin. No goals, no assists, no points in, in the easily most important game he's ever played as a capital. Right? So – Let's just throw it out there. And he comes up totally zero, you know, plus minus of zero. Backstrom, zero, 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 minus one, no penalty minutes, no shots on goal, no hit. Now, here's the thing. I get what you're saying about Ovechkin, and, I, and, I, and I'm not going to disagree with you, but Backstrom is worse. No, Backstrom was Backstrom, harder last night. No question. Backstrom last night had an opportunity late in the game, and I remember texting it to you, and he absolutely came into the zone timid, and afraid to shoot with the game on the line. I couldn't believe it. Yep. No, I agree. I mean, now, and how does it? How is it that Tom Wilson has four shots on goal? And uh, has two. You know, because Tom, because Tom because Tom Wilson, I think was the busiest and most energetic Caps forward in that game. I mean, yes. there was, a, there was a, there five shots on goal. Lars Eller, okay, five. I mean, Ovechkin has two. Well, that's the same line act. It was Al, it's Eller. No, and they were good. And no, I, that's two that hit the net. I'm sure he took more than two shots. Like, we know that. I watched the game, and I'm telling you, I looked specifically for this because I have this theory on him psychologically that I've been that I've noticed for years. And, you know, some he does not love negative press. You know, no one loves it, okay? But, I mean, he does not, he does not thrive under it. It's not a situation like with everybody over the last couple of days saying he should get kicked out, saying what he did to Crosby was wrong. 
you know, I don't think Ovechkin's a bad guy at all. Like, I don't. I think he's a good guy. Actually, I really enjoy talking. I do too. I like him. Uh, I like him a lot. Um, and I do think he the way he did with Crosby was wrong. I think he probably regretted it because I don't think he wants to hurt Sidney Crosby. That's not his thing. He gets very tied. He gets very, he, you know, gets up into the game and all that stuff. I think it was just a moment thing, and he made a mistake. He knows it. But I think he knows he made a mistake, and he feels bad about it. And I honestly think that he's not he's not able to put that away. And to me, I really saw that again last night. And It's, it's weird. The Capitals need more Justin Williams types because, yeah. again, when I saw Backstrom being hesitant with the puck, that was, like, scary to me. Now, here, here's something maybe you could answer, Eck. I can never get a straight answer. Even even Doc Emmerich answered the question, and he didn't get an answer. How come when you cut yourself at home, you'll bleed for – if let's say I cut myself on, I don't know, uh, a, a scissor. I'll bleed for, like, 10 minutes, and I'll have a hard time getting it under control. Justin Williams gets hit under the eye. He's bleeding. They press something against it. I'm assuming they cauterize it, and he can go back out there, and he literally – Three seconds later, he had a great shot attempt on goal on the power play. How is this even possible? Justin Williams is just a piece. You know, they, he was, cra they crazy glue it. They crazy glue it. They have that stuff they do that, yeah, that's not stitching, I think. it's um. No, but I yeah. thought maybe cauterizing like it's hot. They might do that. I, mean, I know they have those invisible Band-Aids and stuff like that, you know, that they just throw in there, you know, which you can get. They hurt like okay. they don't feel good. They're not – it's not like they feel great. I've had – I've used them before too. They, you know, they they sting like crazy, but they – um. You know, it's better than better than stitches for sure. Um, but yeah, Justin Williams is just like such. But I mean, they need more Justin Williams on that team. That is the problem with that team. Nobody wants to puck with the game on the line. Well, no, this this was the thing that that really. I mean, if from from a sort of an impartial perspective, because I don't care one way or the other who wins that series. I just I was I'm looking forward to it for in the sense of wanting entertaining hockey. Penguins come out. They get that two nothing lead. One the one goal was was you know not. I mean it was it was just a. I mean it was an unfortunate circumstance where the puck uh, Gunsel shot goes off of Orloff. So they're up two nothing, and right after that the Caps took over that game and scored those two goals from Kuznetsov and Sh and Schmidt within yeah. I think two minutes of each other. They dominated that window of maybe six seven minutes in the second period to. Uh, to uh, you know, to get the game even again, and then they fell back into that same conservative mode that yep. they really did in the first period. That they were on their heels. I mean, they had they you know at times. I mean, they're, they're they had a lot of shots on goal in the first period, but there weren't any, uh, to my mind, great ridiculous scoring opportunities. It was like get shots on Flurry. Well, there know, was that one sequence where Flurry made three or four saves down yeah. low. That was ridiculous. Like that was. Yeah. That was Mark Andre Fleury from like five or seven years ago. It was crazy how good he was and how impenetrable he seemed for that twenty seconds. But but they, but the, you know that they score those two goals and they yeah. had the advantage, and, and it's the same thing that they did against Toronto. There were times in that series where Toronto was dominating, where Washington was sort of sitting back on their heels, not really engaged and then all of a sudden you know when Matthew scores the goal in game six they're like oh desperate times desperate measures boom they're they're all over them they take over the game and then they just they can't maintain it and I'm not saying they have to maintain it for 60 minutes but that's the reason why they're down 3-1 in the series they cannot maintain that level of pressure long enough to take advantage of the Penguins who you know honestly they don't have a great defense they're without Latang they're without their number one goaltender they're without Sidney Crosby and they're still winning because Here's Washington the is letting them win. Sorry Mike we, we Mike and I talked about it all fair this is the reality the Capitals did need Columbus to knock off the Penguins because the Capitals can't beat them mentally. They have a mental block. It's not going away until the, all of a sudden the Penguins start failing as a team, which will take a few years still. So they needed Columbus to knock them off. I went back and looked at 94 because I knew the Rangers had to have help to get to, the, to at least the conference finals. And then, of course, they had to beat New Jersey in, in great series. But the Capitals knocked off the Penguins then. That, at that point in time, the Rangers were never going to beat the Penguins. Yep. No way, no how, but the Capitals did. So it's always about matchups. And I was reminded this morning from Shane Malloy how Calgary could never beat Edmonton. But when Edmonton got knocked off, then Calgary did make it to the Cup a few times and won one. And this Winnipeg is the only way the Caps can get there. Remember, Winnipeg couldn't beat Calgary, and that was like the yeah. big thing. And Winnipeg was a really good team back then, too. Right, and, and the one time that Calgary did beat Edmonton, it was the Steve Smith goal off of off of his – Crazy luck. 
I mean, people, don't, right. people often talk about the Flyers around here too, obviously, and the two Stanley Cups they won. And I remember, even as a kid, I remember the fact that they won those Stanley Cups because of Brian Perrot and Bobby Clark and all that. But they also won it because they avoided Montreal. The, yeah. yeah. Buffalo, Buffalo beat Montreal in 75. So we could all agree on that. Like, there's these matchups that are just awful for some teams, and the Caps will never admit to it. They'll never talk about it, but it's real, and it's showing now. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, they they doubled up on shots, Penguins, last night. They not only did that, but they also – the Penguins blocked, you know, almost three times as many shots as the Caps. So the Caps were firing all kinds of shots at them last night. Right. Um, it was all – I mean, Washington looked like the better team through most of the game. They've looked like the better team through a lot of the series, honestly. Like, there are people out there who think that, you know, the Capitals have played better than them in all four games, you know. But the bottom line is right now they can't they, – they, they're not getting the timely goals. They're not getting the right moments. Um, they're not getting good goaltending um, when they need it at all. Yeah. You know, um, and that's surprising. I mean, I never would have thought it, I, I really would have guessed anything, but Holpe would have been the reason that they didn't win the series. I, I don't know what it is, Zach, but Holpe has just seemed off all playoffs. He he didn't really stand out against Toronto, and so far, I mean, not not to say I'm not blaming because you know the the shot from Schultz that was the eventual game winner. You know, there's nobody's going to stop that it's shot. It was shot and it deflected. It's a shot. But but Holpe, I mean Holpe. He reacted really strangely to the Orloff goal because you know maybe he thought he should have stopped that or been in position, but he just didn't. He just seems like he, you know, Flurry seems to be in a zone, and Holpe seems like he's outside the zone. Yeah. His rebound control has not been stellar. No, and it wasn't in that game, and he was a little scrambly, and it cost them too. I mean, it wasn't just him; it was the whole collective, but it cost them. Well, this is the Penguins from last year as well, where they actually find different players to be stars at different times. Like yesterday was not Malkin. You know, Although it could have been. I mean, Malkin had a couple of moments where it could have been. Yeah, and he shot in one hit. You know, like that Mal – that's not very Malkin-like, you know, to me. Like, and he set up – he set up uh, Schultz for the winning goal. goal yeah. No question about it. Um, but it was Hornquist. I mean, Hornquist was all over the place. He yeah. he was – you know, he scored the big goal, I thought. Um, he was and just – Hornquist is hurt, and they pointed out that Oshie blew right past him – and got a great scoring chance, didn't get a goal. And I'm wondering, why didn't the Caps continue to do that? I know. I don't get it at all. I mean, I, I really have a weird feeling about the series, though. As much as I've been, you know, on the Penguins for the entire time, and I think the Penguins are going to win this series, I still feel like this series is going to go the distance. No, well, I don't feel that way now. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I think Washington can win game five and force a game six, but yeah. they've really not shown me anything that they have the the mental fortitude to be able to stick this out. I mean, now right. one other thing. They, they can't hold the lead. They don't get clutch goals. Like, what's what's going to do it? It's going to a win. They they just need a they need to have, they need a solid win. They need a three to one, four to two victory in Washington. Really had a win. I mean, you know. Well, but yeah, but but Russ, it was sort of a tainted win because they have yeah. a two nothing lead where Holpe is. Yeah, that, that wasn't it exactly. I mean, I agree that that's that game still played into the into their you know into the ghost of the Penguins with the Washington. Okay. We're do we're dominating this team completely, and in the final two minutes, they get two goals and tie up the game. So it, it was they're they're mentally fragile as it is, and that didn't really help. But now I I don't know if this means anything because I would seriously doubt up three games to one that they're going to rush him back. But Sidney Crosby did skate at the practice the Penguins pra practice facility this morning, um, which might be a sign that he could return at some point. But it could also be simply, you know, this is you know, what happens during the playoffs where you try to send out little signals of things that, that might happen. Think, would you? I mean, I think I think it means something. I don't think it means he's going to be back in this series, but I think it, I think it means he could be back in the playoffs. You know, like right. I think with Crosby, I, I, there's no reason at all if you if you take it out for good that you would even put him on the ice. You know, like there's no reason at all, like because you're absolutely. I mean, but to me, it, it's a sign that that he is looking to get back, um, which is yeah. a great sign, you know, for the Penguins and a great sign for the NHL in general. But, yeah, I, th I thought that – I don't know. I just feel like the Capitals were so much better than the Penguins a lot of last night that I, I really feel as if, you know, that they just – if they can come back – and they don't know how to win. The guys on the Penguins know how to win. No, they need they need to change that. They, they, need, they, have a, they have a game at home. They've got everything going for them to win that game in Game 5. There's no reason that they can't win that game in, game five, in my mind. Um, yeah. Now, and then, and then, and then, it really does get a little bit hairy for Pittsburgh because the, the Penguins have been outshot and outplayed in the last couple of games. If they lose Game Five, they go back to Pittsburgh. Now they can't be outshot twice as much at home again, you know, in Game Six. 
and expect to win. Now, I mean, even for the beauty, here's the beauty of Phil Kessel, by the way, because he had a great scoring chance that I thought was going to go in and didn't, but just a tremendous play where he literally burst into the offensive zone on his own and went right to the net. But listen to his post game. This is why it's good to have some Phil Kessels on your team. I'm just going to go out there and do the same thing I do all the time and hope it works out. Nothing affects this guy. Yeah. If he's if they're losing three nothing oh, in the series, he's going to do the same thing. I, I don't know about that, Russ. In the first period, he lost a blade off of his skate and he hobbled to the bench and he was losing it on the bench like he was. Oh looking. no! I mean, something like that yeah. could be very frustrating. No, he was he was losing it on the bench like he was like he had run out of mustard. Okay, <laughs> I get it, but I'm just saying. I think Kessel. You have to have more guys like that that are unaffected, whereas the Capitals guys are affected. Yes. Yeah. No, I do. I know the cap, and that that comes from one team having won a Stanley Cup last year and one team having never won a Stanley Cup. You know, I mean, that plays into it for sure. Yeah. Here's the follow up on Kessel. He says, "Yeah, I think we've had this before. We seem to get some injuries once in a while, and we keep going." Yeah. No. Yeah, you're right. Into it. You're right. I mean, it's, I mean, the weird thing about the teams, you know, you watched last night, like when, you know, and looking at the standings today, you know, you know not standings, but, you know, looking where everybody is, obviously you've got, you know, a series to two, two, another series of three, one, but you literally have, you know, like the Penguins are seven and two in the playoffs. The Ducks are six and two in the playoffs. Well, the, the, this, is the, thing, this is the thing. This is the thing. Those are five and five. You know, the Capitals are five are 500 team in the playoffs right now. That is this, that's tough. This, this is the thing that should be concerning. They only gave up 18 shots last night. 18. Hopey led in three goals. I mean, yeah. when you're when you're limiting a team, and, but at the same time, it's also you know I'm knowing Barry Trotz the way I sort of do. He's going to look at it like more like the way I'm saying it. Like, listen, we are starting to take over this series on in in on the ice. We're not taking it over in the goals, but we're taking it over on the ice. And if we if we can continue to do that, you know, we have a chance here. That that's how that's how they're going to play. I, I don't you can say that. Yeah. But it's again, it's going to happen. There's really, to be honest, there's not much Barry Trotz can do at this point. It's really up to these players because it, it's in their heads. And I don't think Barry Trotz knows how to get it out of their heads, other than, like you said, they do have to just have an overwhelming win, which yeah. I don't think they can do against the Penguins. I think they still could win a game, don't get me wrong. But I don't think they could have an overwhelming win where all of a sudden they win two in a row. They're going to have to win three or four here. It's not happening. Yeah, I mean, no, I I think winning the series is is I don't think they're going to win three in a row, but I think I I can easily see them I can see them winning one, and I can I can definitely we can see them winning one. So I'm not that crazy. Yeah. I can see them winning, yeah. two. But I really can. Like I can really see them winning two, and I can see this getting back to Washington, and then 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 you really do face your demons in Game Seven in Washington, if you're the Capitals, right? That's that's where you face your demons for sure, and that's that to me is you know, right now. But Pittsburgh will fight tooth and nail to never get to a Game Seven. Oh, they, yeah, they will that game, but you know they. I don't know. Let's move on to the next game. But it's it's really okay. a tough one. It's, it is a tough one to call. I'm, I I think that this still feels like we haven't seen this whole series yet. You know, it just doesn't. Okay. It doesn't, feels like there's something more to this series. At least one or two more. I mean, there's obviously one more game, but I think there could be two more. I think we've seen most of it. I'll be honest. We'll find out. You know, it, it, Ovechkin has to come up big back from other than dirtier play because clearly, like Mike said, if next game. Somehow the Capitals are down three goals. Watch out. Well, then, yeah, then I agree with you. Well, then, then, then it'll be it'll be Pittsburgh doing even up score. Like you know, let me, let's get our first our last crack at at the Caps yeah. if we're up three or four goals. You know, I'm I'm really surprised because we mentioned the name Tom Sestito. I'm surprised he didn't even skate in the pregame skate. I think I know. yeah, that would have been like. They, they they went with was it Wilson and Rowney in the lineup on the fourth line, and they pretty much played. I think their ice time was down significantly. So, I mean, that, that's the thing. That, that's the thing that's absolutely puzzling about this series. To my mind, the Caps are so much more talented and deep than the Penguins. It's all the mental aspect. It's all they, up here. They cannot get by the fact that they cannot beat this team, and and that's it, it's really, I uh, to me. Brian McClellan at the end of the series, when the if the if and when the Caps lose, I think they seriously have to consider not blowing it up, but a massive reorganization of the franchise because this group simply can't beat the Penguins. Yeah, I mean it's crazy. I mean, yet you know they are they're killing it in the in regular season. They're 
they're a solid, solid team. Obviously, they keep going out and getting the kind of players you that that you would expect to do to 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 help you. You know, like they go Justin Williams, they get Oshie, they get these kind of players that you'd expect. Be the and uh, you know, I mean, Shattenkirk, uh, you know, that's another that's another deal to me. That's a different kind of a trade. It, um, you know, look, sometimes you trade for a guy, you plug him in, it doesn't work out great. It happens. Yeah, and, and, that's fun. But, and but, there is. Um, the, there, there is a school of thought act that they traded for Shattenkirk simply to keep him away from other teams. You know, he could yeah. do no harm. He, he comes in, he's a six. Yeah, and I think the Penguins ran on him too. I do think the Penguins, and they know, you know, you're going to deal with the Penguins. Um, Wilson played 14 minutes last night, um, which is not terrible for him, obviously. But like I said, he had. <laughs> he's He's been good this whole series. He has. He took four shots on goal in his 14 minutes. You know, where he's been actually, good. Tom Wilson has been scoring goals, yeah. causing trouble. He's been effective. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, all right. Let's move on to the late, the late game. Um, the thing I hate about these late overtime games, like I, I love overtime games. I, there's nothing better than overtime. Um, but I hate when overtime ends super fast like this because you like, you yeah. know. I don't. <laughs> no, just because like mentally, like I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm really hungry. It's the middle of the night. You know, you start to get like, oh man, I gotta eat something, or I'm just gonna go to sleep. I want to go to sleep. Right. Okay, I'm gonna make some. Oh, fine. It's going to overtime. Fine. I'm gonna make something. So I put you know some chicken in and stuff like that. And I'm like waiting, you know, and and, and I'm I bringing my chicken into the room to sit down and they score, you know, like, God, oh, well, nobody surveys something in the middle of the night. Let's start there. <laughs> and I am, I am literally toaster ovening the children's chicken nuggets at that point. That's where you're at. That's ranch dressing. No, like, uh, maybe like some A1 steak sauce and chicken nuggets. That's my deal, right? <laughs> oh, A1 because that's very highbrow. I get it. No, I just like A1. So I'm like oh, sitting there. He puts A1 on his steakums. So, no, I don't need steakums. But all right, so. So I'm sitting there, and you know, just that's stupid. I'm like, oh, damn it, you know, this. I know now. I'm now I got all this chicken to eat, and it's mid, and it's like one in the morning. I'm like, what the hell am I going to eat this chicken for? One in the morning. It would have been, it would have been preferable if Edmonton and that scored with a minute and forty seconds left to go in regular. I mean, that that was the thing. I mean, Anaheim went through the entire third period in a defensive shell. And you know they just keep them to the outside. All, you know all the all, and Edmonton was getting offensive chances, but not a ton of them. But I mean, overall in this game, though, Edmonton came out really applying the pressure on the Ducks. They get those two goals. and Hang on. Before the two goals, there was something significant. Okay. The significant thing – I was groggy for this game, so I rewatched the highlights. The significant, but I watched it, but, but I did, but I didn't. It was like osmosis, right? But anyhow, um, the significant thing was – and Eck will never give him credit, so I'm going to do it. John Gibson absolutely stole the puck away from Patrick Maroon for a perfect scoring chance with his stick. Now, again, they still went up one nothing Edmonton, but that was early on, and I think that would have set a bigger tone than when they did go up one nothing. And Gibson stopping that was a really big deal early in the game because I think it, it gave Anaheim just a little bit more time to sort of, you know, breathe. Now, they did still go down in that game. Yeah, they went down 2 nothing. I know, I know, but it could have been worse. Yeah, but, but the point was, you knew that at that point Gibson was really good, and I think the players were, you know, confident in him. Now you can go with the two goals, and then I got. Well, no, the, 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 um, I like I like Gibson, so don't say I'll never give him credit. I don't. I, just, I don't think he's the no. greatest goalie on the planet. I, I thought I thought the I thought the, the key. goalie that we have, but I think he's a I think he's a really good goalie, and I think that there's nothing he could have done on the first two goals. Yeah. Well, like yeah. Goal. The second goal was really just ridiculous. I mean, yeah. there's nothing could have done on that. The bouncing back and forth thing and ends up on McDavid's stick, right, with a wide open net. I mean, you're not going to do anything with that, right? So, the key mo the key moment in the game was the last minute and a half of the first period and the beginning of the second, yeah. when 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 Edmonton had a power play, they got through the end of the period. They come back for the second, and and Perry scores that goal. And I I I, I wanted to get your opinion on it because I was sort of half and half on this one. I thought. You know, Larson made contact with Perry and pushed him toward the goal, but I think Perry allowed himself to make contact with with the goalie. Oh, yeah. He definitely allowed him, but that's what players do, right? They allow. I mean, if you if you get bumped in the crease, you are going to let that bump go to its natural conclusion. Okay, that's the bottom line. If you're a forward, because yeah. you get hit at all, you're you're allowed to take out the goalie. Essentially, that's real. And these guys are good enough to know that they know that. Okay, you just knocked me, and I'm near the goalie. <laughs> You're done. You know that you're going in the goalie, and I think that's what happened. I mean, I thought there was. I tweeted out a moment. There was a moment at the end of the first period. I think it was the first period. It might have been the second period. Again, like late at night, things like sort of all do blend into one. Um, 
where Talbot made like four or five really good saves. It was at the end of the second. End of the second period. Okay, so I tweet and it was like yeah, I tweet out, you know, you know, Cam Talbot may have just saved the series for Edmonton, and yeah, it was destroyed on Twitter. It's like you know, you know, idiot, they're up two to one. I'm like, I know they're up two to one, but you you don't want to go two two in this series with Anaheim and then right. and have and play a best of three with Anaheim with all the experience they have. You don't want to do that, you know. So. Golly, man! People on Twitter just need to be a little bit nicer. Yeah, I mean, they, to, they do need to be a little nicer. Opinion, but don't like be like you know. This is like you know. I was thinking about the other day. Like someone said to me in the store, you know, they were they were we were arguing about what the what the best cause of beef is. Okay, and you'll like this, Russ. <laughs> so we're talking about like prime rib or sirloin steak. Like, you know, like, right? You know, we're talking two different like T-bone or prime rib. So we're going through these things, and I and I said one thing, and the guy was like a nice guy. He's like, ah, oh, you know, I totally disagree. I think this. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I didn't say it back to him. You're an idiot for thinking that. Right. What's wrong with you? You know, why would you ever say? It's like we need to be a little more in real life, like we are. Like you know, on, yeah. We need to be a little bit more on Twitter, like we are in real life. I did not once say you're a douche. Yeah, like whatever you right. know. For thinking that. I mean, I would have getting beaten up. You know, like what the yeah. hell. So anyway, I or said he would have stolen your meat. Either way, it would have been bad. I said this about Talbot, and people lost their minds. You know, and I, and, I, and I was complimenting the Oilers, by the way. You know, it's like Oilers fans, like I'm complimenting you. I'm they're on edge right now. They are. Anyway, I'm complimenting your goalie, and I'm just saying that there were some huge saves. So anyway, I mean, obviously Getzloff jumps into beast mode last night, and just yeah. And I was gonna say, I asked to see more out of Ryan Getzlaff, and now I am seeing vintage Ryan Getzlaff. Ever Ryan Getzloff, honestly. I, I think yeah. I think Getzloff got a bit of energy from Carlisle's tactic of putting Perry back on the line with him. Now he mixed him around because he it wasn't Perry all night because he he was on the line with with Raquel and again you, what's going on in this series is you're seeing the shifting of the responsibility in the the center of the Anaheim offense going from Getzloff and Perry to Silverberg and Raquel because Silverberg and Raquel have been monsters in the playoffs so, so far. So here's two things. So here's two interesting things about that. Um, first one is a guy on Twitter, a follower at Vinnyboy8 with one N pointed out to me, and if the stat's wrong, you could just blame him, Twitter. Um <laughs> That gets laugh is at 62% for faceoffs. McDavid is at 25. Dreisaitl 17. Nugent Hopkins 20. And my reaction was, it's a man among boys. Because when younger players acclimate to the league, even if two, three years into it, the one place you could still kill a player who's more talented than you is on the faceoff dot. And Connor McDavid may be one of the most talented guys in the league, but he's not one of the best face-off guys yet. Well, I, and I'm curious, and I don't know if, if you guys were, were napping when this happened, but late in the third period when Vermette got the penalty for closing yeah. his hand on the puck, he was knocked down in the face-off circle, and I don't think he closed his hand on the puck. I think he shoved the puck with his glove. Yeah, no, he didn't. He closed. I mean, it's funny because I had the same. I think he did. I saw that. I didn't know what it was, so I thought it was close. I thought it was just grabbing the other guy's stick, which is what he did. Like I thought that's what it was because I had the sound down at the time because my son was waking up and I was trying to get him back to sleep. So I had the sound down. And he's laying next to me, and I thought, oh man, he just grabbed his stick, and I thought that's why because he he does fall, does fall down and grabs the stick of the other center, which was pretty you know a dirty play. But at the same time, at that point in the game, should not have been called. And you know, and I, I, I that's my opinion. You know. I, that's just yeah. And I thought Talbot. I thought Talbot had a great game, but Oscar Clefbaum was awful. He was no, 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 no. The the award for awfulness goes to Adam Larson. He was minus well, either one. I mean, Larson never out there for awful. I'm Nugent Hopkins, man. I'm, I'm sorry. That's just like first of all, the goal Getzlaff scores is just inexcusable. Like the one that the one where he takes it off of Nugent Hopkins' stick when Nugent Hopkins is waiting too long. Yeah. Nugent Hopkins rest, should be your poster child on your radio show for guys that that are rushed into the NHL. Like. Yeah. There's no question that when he makes mistakes, they are huge mistakes, and they are mistakes yeah. that he wouldn't have made if he had played a little bit longer in juniors. Yeah, but I he, don't he disagree with that. I think he stayed in. Jack, I, I, the he did was, stay one year. I think he stayed one year, but he could have stayed one more. I think. Yeah, he could have. And you know, the crazy thing about him is that's what X getting at. I was totally impressed with him when he was playing with his peers at the World Cup of Hockey. I was like, this guy. When you look at him with his peers, you know, playing in the under or whatever it was, you know, under twenty-six or whatever three thing it was. You know, he looked good to me, you know, at times. Like, and I was just, but, you know, now you put him back in there, you know, with, with older players in situations like this, it's just not, he's just not good. He's not good right now. 
No, I, I don't disagree. And and you're right. We all have these guys that we could say yeah. had horrible games, and they did. And and these, but here was the overall thing about the Oilers defense, which I think is ultimately letting him down because it's not Cam Talbot. It's really not Cam Talbot's fault. No, not at all. Their defense has a failure to clear the puck out when it's important situations and also not have their sticks down. Anaheim was victimizing these guys because they didn't have their sticks down near the net and they would get a clear shot from the hash marks. And you can't allow that in the playoffs. It's crazy to me that defensemen were there getting their sticks down late. Well, I, you know, I, 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 I immediately uh, went on social media after, uh, after the game and after looking at the box score and seeing that Adam Larson was minus four. And I think I, I don't know if I texted it or tweeted it last night or this morning, but to me, that just shows that this revisionist history that's going on, that's been going on the last round and a half, that says that the Larson for Hall deal was good for both teams is complete and total bunk. Because Adam Larson is a 3-4 defenseman, and Edmonton has him playing as a top-pairing guy. And the, the longer that you play him as a top-pairing guy, the more you're going to get exposed. He's an average or a little above average defenseman making a little over $4 million, and you gave up a number one pick, and somebody came back to me and said, well, you know, uh, uh, Taylor Hall didn't do that great New Jersey. Who the hell else is on New Jersey other than Taylor Hall? I don't know. I mean, I'm listen. I'm not going to say that it was the greatest trade in the history of the world, but I still think stupid trade. trade that both teams won on. I really do. I think that I think yeah, I still think it, it gave each team what they wanted, and I think it's. I'm not going to pick on Adam Larson for that game. It was bad because Adam Larson's had a lot of good moments too. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, the thing about Larson is this. I mean, like honestly, if you're if you're looking if you're thinking Adam Larson's going to be your shutdown defenseman, you're not necessarily thinking the right stuff. Like he is. Right. He's a shutdown defenseman compared to Edmonton's other defensemen, but he's right. not a shutdown defenseman. You know what I mean? So yeah. like at the end of the day, you know, to me, you know, he should be a third or fourth. He should be yeah. able to score for you in the power play and make good plays, and, and, and he's a good outlet pass guy. He's a good transitional guy, which you definitely need on a team like Edmonton. He makes good first passes, um, but he's not going to – you know, they don't have, you know, Luke Richardson on that defense. Like they have no one out there that – and so that is why that team lose lows leads all the time and have for the last couple of years, right? So – I mean, the closest they have maybe some, you know, I mean, on a shutdown defenseman. I couldn't, I'm like, whoa, that's like crazy too. I mean, I, I think Edmonton has a defense that's basically four, uh, two pairs of threes and fours, yeah. and then five, six. You know, Chris Russell's a four. Darnell Nurse is probably a three or a four. Clefbaum is a three or a four. And so is Larson. You do and not it's have. It's at crunch time. It does. Yeah. Right, and and when and when you're playing, when you're going head to head with a team that a team like Anaheim, who has I think three, you know, top pairing guys in Vatten and Lindholm and Fowler, and potentially a couple top pairing guys coming in Montour and Theodore. Oh, I mean, they would be playing. They would be playing twenty minutes a game if they were on Edmonton. I mean, the thing is, like this, like the bottom line is, like they, yeah. I mean, the Ducks have guys that they're not even playing that would be top pairing guys on Edmonton. And it's just like they are when everybody's healthy. You know, if everybody was healthy, they would be in that spot. So yeah, I totally agree with you. But yeah, here's here's another good one, Eck. Yeah. So with with the Las Vegas expansion draft coming up early in the season, there was a ton of talk that maybe Silverberg right. would be the guy that would I know go to Vegas. <laughs> now with seven goals in the playoffs, there's no way in hell he's going to Vegas. Well, comparisons to Alfredson, you know, like Daniel. Yeah. That was coming out last night. Oh, yeah, you know, they find him like Daniel Alfred. And listen, I like him. I never would have put him in that situation, but people were. Well, Russ, here's here's the here's the dilemma for Anaheim because I've looked at their, their situation when it comes to the, the expansion draft a lot because it, I think it, it ties in with what what's going to happen with Toronto uh, in terms of trade later on in the summer. Um, Bieksa's got a no-move clause. Now, right now, BX is hurt, and this could complicate complicate things because if they want to buy him out and he's still injured, they can't. They can't. Right. So, right now, even if they buy out Bieksa, they they protect the three top three defensemen, Vatten and Lindholm, and Fowler. They still expose Josh Manson, and Josh Manson, if you watch in this series, has been really, really good, and he's not just a tough defenseman; he can rush the puck. He has an offensive side to his game. I think he's a quality defenseman. So this is what Bob Murray's going to have to deal with 
to him for him to protect Silverberg, he's probably going to have to expose or or buy out the excess of his final year and maybe either trade Manson or lose Manson in expansion. So that's that's a price to pay. Or or make some sort of deal with Vegas. I, I wrote about it on Sportsology. There's a lot of things McPhee can do. But the interesting thing to me, Eck, is in the years past, those GMs in that position would always do things secretly. Right. McPhee quoted was quoted as saying, I might I'm open to everything, whether it's trading a pick, picking the player you want not picking the player you don't want, you know, like he's open to all of those situations. And he talked about it openly. It's crazy. Well, this, this is this, this. The last thing about the situation is that he is a, I don't remember a team coming in the NHL by itself before. Okay. So that's the weird thing about this because normally right. you have two teams coming in with an expansion draft. Right. So, and that's what we've seen in the past, right? We teams came in in pairs. Um, I'm sure it happened where one came in, but I can't really remember it. Um, so when you, when you think about that, McPhee has nothing to hide. Like he doesn't. Right. He doesn't have to. Like if, if you're if you have another team coming in with you, then you have to deal with that team, and you have to be a little bit more. But he's just he's by himself, which is like which is crazy and, and a huge advantage to him. I mean, just an enormous. I mean, way bigger that they didn't bring in Quebec right now, and that they're going to bring in Quebec eventually on its own or move a team to Quebec. It whatever happens there is right like, now the most important GM in the league for the next couple weeks, and he's loving it, and he's a, he's a good. He's a good GM to have in that role because. Well, here, here's here's the question, because, and the the NHL has made it clear that any of these little side deals that are being made between Vegas and whatever team have to be reported to the league because there's conditions in there that may affect who they pick, uh, in from from an individual team. The not question is not reported to us. They don't have to report to us. Remember that. Say say that again. They don't have to be reported to us. Like they don't have to put them well, out. Well, that's that, that's my question. Is that is it just going to be reported to the league and not exposed out there? It's up to the individual team. That sucks. I mean, that really they could because honestly, that's going to be the interesting part. Well, they the did expose the the list of guys that are exempt because of like you know injuries, bad contracts, and I did tweet out that day that it's sad that Chris Pronger cannot be on the Vegas team. But Chris Pronger was in that group. You know, all the guys you'd expect, Nathan Horton, you know, like they did put that out. Well, that's obvious, though. I mean, I know. You know, like this, this is the thing is this. I mean, if Big Fee can play this. And, it, you know, teams, This I, I said before, there's huge issues here. There's huge conflicts of interest going on by, by McPhee deciding who. And, you know, part of the deal with him might be like, okay, we're going to trade you this guy, but only if you promise not to expose it. Because, right. like, if you do expose it, then we're not going to make that trade. Right. You can see that happening because – McPhee, everything, every time he shows exposes something, it's like turning over one of his one of his cards on the poker table, you know. But do you think Jim Rutherford is just going to hand over one of his goalies to McPhee? No way. No, and and you know, but this, he might have to give up a first round pick this year to keep them both. Well, this this I've talked to so many GMs who, are, who hate the fact that this is going to be this way that they that that you're, that they're not that they're not publicly just making it completely public and open because it would help them all a lot. But well, he's well, on making Nash on making Nashville on making Vegas a good team right away. That's what's well, happening here. They want to make well, Vegas a pretty good team right away. The one thing that McPhee can't do is circumvent is is help another team circumvent the cap because say right. say, say for right. example, but, well, yeah, don't, don't we always doesn't every but, deal? I mean, how, that's crazy because teams help other teams circumvent the yeah, cap but, all the time. Let me let me explain why. Say say for say for example, there's a player with two years left in his contract. I think I think Brooks Orpic has two years left. Say for example, um, that's the guy that Washington exposes. Now I, I don't know about no move clauses, but I'm just using this as, as an example. Vegas cannot buy out a player that they claim in the expansion draft for the first year. They right. can do it after after year after year one. Right. So the thing is, they have to reach the salary cap floor for year one. Right. So yes. in a way, that helps them to claim a guy like Orpic and then buy him out after one year. I'm going to make a prediction here. I don't think Vegas is going to swallow up bad contracts. I don't. Every there's a lot of guys out there writing. They think they'll just take these bad contracts and in a year. Get rid of them. I don't think they're going to operate that way, and I don't think they should operate that way. No, but I do. I, what I do think is McPhee is going to bring in guys that he knows, like a, a guy, a guy like Brooks, like who got 
pushed down to the minor leagues by the, by the Maple Leafs yeah. because of his mm-hmm. big contract. Brooks like is going to end up on Vegas. I would not be surprised yeah. if he ends up on Vegas or if a guy like Eric Fair who got traded to from Pittsburgh to Toronto to my, in my mind simply to be the guy that they pick up. If Michael Neuberth is unprotected, he will be on Vegas. Right. Yeah, yeah Evander Kane is going to go to Vegas, I really think. Ah, everyone says it's a can of worms, but I'm telling you, I talked to people yesterday about it, and that Vegas wants him. So it's and, and if Vegas wants him, wow. Buffalo will make it happen. You know, that's rent, rent a rent a penthouse and get that spread of hundred dollar bills in your hands, Evander. I don't know. I'm just saying. Be, that's nuts. Absolutely nuts. Well, um, but this is a fluid situation. This Vegas situation is very fluid, and it changes every day. And like I said, every day, Mark Andre's case. Flurry's case gets stronger, and so does other players. Like now, there's no way Anaheim would not protect Silverberg, but there was a way earlier. And Nashville's going through the same thing. There are guys playing so well that now it's like, well, wait a minute, I was gonna well, protect that guy, but now I, how yep. can I give him up? I mean, my my idea, Russ, was with the Rangers trading or exposing Nash, but the way Nash has played in the playoffs, they're not giving him up. They're not giving him up. Nope. Oh, well, I think that would be foolish. No, I don't think they are, Rick. I think it's only one year, Rick. It's only one year. It's only one year. They're going to keep them. I guess so. I mean, you know, who could you end up? You could end up losing like Lindbergh or somebody like that, probably, right? Yeah, you, you'll probably lose Lindbergh or Klein or Grabner. No, Grabner's got a two-year deal. So right, that's what I'm saying. Can, can they protect, protect them? them? Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's there's a lot there, but I, I mean, if you if they're willing to take Rick Nash, I would let them take Rick Nash. That's fine. No. Now I I haven't I haven't heard any update on this and we we were joking about that this in our uh, in our uh, group text but uh, John Vogel the Buffalo News reported this morning and this is you know, the reason that this is this is is news is because a couple years ago when Mike Babcock was hired by the Leafs the the story broke because someone got the tran- got the tail number of yeah. the of the MLS and E private plane going from Toronto to Detroit or Detroit and back and that was that was how the the Babcock story sort of started to gain right. well there apparently Pagula the Pagula private plane is flying to Pittsburgh and back this afternoon which has led to a lot of speculation that Jason Botterill who's been assumed to be the leading candidate is going to be named either today or tomorrow I, I don't know if that's I, I found out it was Richie Hebner but anyhow, it could be Jason Bottom. Who's Pierre LaRouche? I'm here to report a new a new uh, thing. Like you know, I have E one, two, three, four, five, and six. E six is is a rumor from an air traffic controller. Okay, so now you know that's what it is. <laughs> I talked to an air traffic controller this morning. E six. Are we? Is this the point that we're at that now that somebody is going to be staking out the airport and looking at planes? We are only at the beginning of this, like because like because like wait till wait till there's facial recognition on everybody's phones. I mean, it's like we're only we're at the very beginning of how much we're going to be, you know, how much people's privacy is going to affect how much we find out about who's going where. I mean, the a lot of people I talked to said the Sabers were nuts for holding these interviews in this at the stadium, you know, right. the, like holding it there, you know, because like, obviously Buffalo has plenty of people that they, that, that, that are reporting on this team and, and they know everybody who's coming in and leaving. They can see it, it was, there was, yeah, no- if they were smart. They do it in some other city at an undisclosed location. It'll be really hard to figure that one out. And that's usually what teams do. Like I know a lot of times teams hold it in New York city. They'll hold it in yeah. Chicago. They'll have this. Like, if, like if it were me, where would I go that nobody else would care or look for me? Like Toledo, Ohio. I think you just go to New York City and you're fine. Like New York City, no, I go to Toledo, there. Ohio at like at the, like, Pagula, the Pagulas have property in Florida. They could have brought yeah. these people down to Florida, and yeah. nobody would have known the wiser. Never but, bringing important people to Florida. We've learned that by now. Um, no, but well, they're not bringing them to Mar-a-Lago. Okay, like, well, no, but I, <laughs> I'm just saying that you know the the. They they could have done it, but the, but we sit there and say they could have done that. You know why they couldn't do that? They're overwhelmed. They've got a friggin' football team going crazy. They couldn't leave the stadium. They were in the middle of the draft. They were in the and middle. That of does the- play into it. There's no question. But I mean, I, but I, the, 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 they're, doing, they're overwhelmed by doing too much at once. I mean, they're trying to put together two entirely new staffs, and Pool is doing it with like a lot but, of. But they're 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 doing the the Sabers GM, maybe team president. They're doing that first simply because. 
They have to. You cannot have a general manager not in place six weeks, seven weeks before the draft. Yeah. Right now until training camp, until September, it, you know, it's fine not to have a general manager for the for the NFL team. They're focusing on the GM for the Sabres first because this guy's going to have to make decisions. Yeah, but you know, they're, 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 they're interviewing people for the football team all this time too. So well, but they're concentrating – apparently they're concentrating more on the Sabres GM. I don't know. I mean, I've talked I don't to know people. about that. I I've mean, to it's, it's, harder than, it's harder to find a good NFL GM. Like, there's there's yeah. NFL GM. They have to really woo. I mean, it's like they they there's there's plenty of GMs who will take this the job. The NFL franchise is probably worth four times what the hockey franchise is worth. More to them, as you've said before, it does, and it means and it, and not that's not to say you know they, they don't care about the Sabers because obviously they no, do. No, of course they do. No, Pagula, uh, the Pagula is more of a Sabers fan than he, he is, is a Bills but fan. monetarily wise. There's no. more money at stake with the Bills. I, I get that. It's a harder yeah. job to fill, the NFL GM. I think it's a harder job to fill, and I don't know much about football. But from what I'm no, talking no, about, I think you're right about that because no. the no. NFL GMs have shorter lifespans than NHL GMs. No, they but I'll, I'll, I'll complicate it even more. The NFL G, the, the Bills GM job is going to be more tough, more tougher to fill because – they have a head coach who is in control of most things right now, and it's going to basically their GM is going to have to get the stamp of approval from McDermott, the Bills coach. So I think actually they have more freedom to go in whatever direction they want uh, for for the for the, uh, the the Sabers GM. But it was interesting. Um, all the things I've heard in the last couple of days is that you know everybody is suggesting that they need to put a team president in place and not just a general manager. I would have thought they would have done that to help the search. It only right. makes sense. Right. They couldn't. I mean, I, there's yes, they could. What do you mean they couldn't? According to them, they couldn't. Like I talked okay. to them, they, they said they couldn't. I mean, I agree they could, but they, they didn't want to do that. And this is why, because Pagula doesn't – he wants to eliminate – unknowns right so he's like his Pagula doesn't like the way things have gone before because he feels like he's been like manhandled by surprise people who've come in and gig in power and stuff like that so he is simply going with people he trusts and himself and his wife and this is a really small group that's interviewing these guys right so, and and you know and that's true with the NHL and the NFL so that's why Pagula's on got to be stressed out of his gourd right now because oh, he has to be He's, I mean, he's the one who's doing he, he is convinced that this is going to be and then you know you can't blame him. he's owns the freaking team he can do this that this is going to be on him. You know, like he's not going to bring in a president to then interview GMs with him that he's just meeting as a new president. Like that's not going to happen. This yeah, but, 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 if, but if he brings in – I mean, if he brings in a president after he hires the general manager and it's a president who's not on board with the general manager that's hired, all you're doing is creating more dysfunction. So yeah, that, that's, that's why. why. And, that's, and that's, that's very possible. But I think that, I think that what he will do is – Keep this president. I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna change presidents. I think he's gonna keep this president for now, and then maybe in time bring in somebody that he that Botterall's worked with before that he knows, that he trusts, that he likes, um, and you know, a, like a duo that that's worked together. But I think he's not gonna. You know, and I and I, I think it's obviously is Botterall. I mean, he's had the second interview. There's a couple more interviews happening, but I mean, by the time they hire a GM, that person is gonna have like a week or less to figure out who they're protecting or not for for the Vegas draft, and then, you know, has to go over what everybody has put together for the NHL draft. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is not easy. And, and there's Which, a lot You know, I'll have a few weeks, but that's not a lot of time. Unfortunately, I mean, you have, you know, the, the crazy thing is if they are going to bring in, you know, Botterell while the Penguins are still playing, which they're going to have to do. Yeah, now the thing is, and, I, and, and there's some big debate about this. Will he say, I'll come in as soon as we're out, or he will he just come in right away? I heard they're going to let him go right away. And okay. that you know, and there there are people in Pittsburgh who are not thrilled about that. But at the same yeah. time, it's not as if there really is any conflict of interest. The, the Penguins aren't playing the Sabers. The Sabers aren't in the playoffs anymore. I mean, if the, you know, and it's not like an assistant GM is doing a whole lot in the second round of the playoffs, right? Like this is right now for him. What's he doing with the Penguins? You know, like right. he is Wilkesbury playing still? I don't think they are. No, they. they no. I'm, I was just checking that, but they're. I think they're. No, no, they're playing. No, oh, they, they lost. To, they lost to Providence, so they're they're eliminated. I thought they were out. When did okay. that happen? Recently? Uh, yeah, a couple days ago. That that may have played into the timing of this. Little it bit. probably did, yeah. They might have said because that, that wouldn't necessarily have been fair. But his responsibilities with the Pittsburgh Penguins themselves, Penguins will let him go. I mean, he's been, he's been a, such a good soldier there. It's like, you're not going to – we're fine. You know, I mean, he, he actually – it really almost – almost it almost removes conflict of interest by him leaving now because the Penguins are going to immediately 
they're going to have to, even before the season ends, they're going to have to shift into their focus on what they're going to do about the, you know everything here. They're going to have to, as, as far as they're already kind of thinking about the Vegas stuff, and you really don't right. want him in there if he's not a part of your team. Right. You really want to get somebody, you really want to move him out. So, But he'd still get a ring if they won the cup. That's the funny thing. Yeah, he would still, he could still be at the, you know, you might still see him on the ice, you know, lifting the cup above his head. You know, I wouldn't be shocked there either, even though right. he's not officially a Penguin employee anymore. But, but by the by the way, just a, a little humorous note: the fact that Mark Andre Fleury covered Matt Niskanen's name on the back of his mask because uh, he had the entire roster of the 2009 Stanley Cup team on on the back of his mask, and he covered Niskanen's name. <laughs> Fleury's funny that way. He is a very funny guy, and so I I I think that's not out of malice or anything. That's actually kind of funny. It's just. That's cool. I actually think that those little kind of things are are I interesting. That kind of stuff. No, and I think that's I think that's amazing. I really I think that's and Niskanen was very hesitant last night too. I felt like I felt like he was yeah. also intimidated by the whole situation. I think this is when you knock Crosby out. You know, you feel like you know, you know, you're going to be in trouble. You feel like you're in trouble. Like I think there's actually, no <laughs> actually the only player the only player who didn't seem phased by. The you know like I mean I thought there was a, a lot of the sort of carefulness in that game. The only one who wasn't phased was Wilson. Wilson was running around like a man with his head yeah. on fire. Yeah, he is continually. I know. I agree with you. And and and, and you know you were, you almost like should just throw a C on his shirt right now for crying out loud. Yeah. Now is the is the league going to have a crackdown on the fake um, on, oh, the, yeah. on about the high sticks? Oh my god. Yeah, that was that was the worst. It's just or just on the fake high stick in general, snapping your head back. I mean, come on. Oh man, in a you know well, yeah, in, in a movie that only Jake Muzzin could be proud of. I mean, that was just like I mean, completely. I always associate this guy's love with Jake Muzzin because I'm still to this day telling you that the only reason the Sharks that the Kings came from behind against the Sharks in that in that when they were up three nothing was because Jake Muzzin faked about twenty penalties in the in the final four games. That I mean, he was incredible at it. And it was, and especially in Game Four, where the where I mean, guys are getting really good at it, and they need to sort of have something to derail that. Well, here it is, you know, and um, well, please, the most ridiculous one of them all in this playoff was PK Subban, you know, getting getting combed with a high stick. Yeah, well, he got to, he, listen, he I mean, you can't you can't sit there and say that these guys are wrong for doing this. I mean, they're it's it's part of the game, actually, at this point, right? So yeah. I can't even see where Oshi touched him. Can I also say that Hainsey is 65 makes me crazy? Just in this picture, like, because you yeah. feel like that, that, that number is just, just too close in my mind. For, for, too close to his age? Oh, for, yeah, for, penguin, for a Pittsburgh Penguin player to wear, because every time I see... Oh, will you stop it with oh, this? My oh, God. This no, I'm just saying, Come on, do, doesn't your head like watch this for a second? I'm telling you, oh, you're watching no. 1984. You know, there you no, go. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you to say that Aaron Judge, the New York Yankees outfielder, should stop be stopped from wearing number 99 because Wayne Gretzky. No, no, this is a penguin. I'm talking about the penguin uniform with number 65 on it. Is what I'm talking about. I don't care about what's happening on the island. Number 64 <laughs> and number 65 and number 67 are fine in my mind. I don't care who wears them. As a penguin. I'm the crazy stat guys for you before we get out of here. Who is the number one plus minus player in the playoffs right now? Number one plus Not minus. Not Adam Larson. Adam plus Silverberg. Ricard Raquel. I would give you $100 if you can get this in the first three guesses. But if you don't know it, you got to not know it. Ricard Raquel. Not, nope, nope. Mm. This is shocking. <laughs> can we get a hint? No, I don't want to hit. Um, nope, 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 nope. No. Um, He's not a about, defensive player. Let me put it that way. You do not. What's that? I'll give you one hint that you would never call him a four defense, Mike, in Stratomatic. You would never. Okay. Ryan Ellis. He's a straight up. Nope. He's a straight up four one D. D like double. You know, D's okay. D's can be four. Okay, like that's what he is. Okay. He has never thrown a check that he liked. <laughs> Because Ryan Ellis fits that description. Yeah, I'm giving up. I don't care. No, just give me, give me a, give me a couple this seconds. Guy, this guy throws less checks than anyone in the world. Throw that out there. That's a huge hint. I don't even care. I gave up on it already. Okay. That's an enormous uh, hint. Come on now. We talked about this last year on the show. We're Justin, stunned. Justin Schultz. No, we were stunned by the fact that this guy hadn't thrown more than like five checks. In I do remember the conversation. I can't remember who the guy is. No, when you when you play this, when you play offense and you score all those goals, how can you not even just 
get counted for a check at some point or another. I, know, I remember the whole conversation. I can't. That's why I said Justin Schultz. No, Phil Kessel. Phil Kessel. Kessel. That's right. At plus eleven is the he's number. A, he's a hot dog. Not just Harry. Number one plus minus guy in the league right now. <laughs> Interesting. Again, that shows the complete meaningless uh, correlation between being good and defensively and being good in plus minus. Because Jake Gardner was the best late leaf player in terms of plus minus, and right. he's not a good defenseman. Yeah, there's more to it. That's for sure. Number number next next fun stat. Um, okay. Next fun stat I thought was really interesting. Well, of course. Gets left scoring last night. Now has thirty six goals, which passes Team Mussolini on the on the Ducks um, for playoff scoring. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, um, you know, whenever you pass Team Mussolini for goal scoring, you're impressive to me. <laughs> I mean, and uh, that's that's just something you know because Timu was although he didn't play like a million dollars time there. for sure, but still, <laughs> I guess maybe it's even impressive that Timu had thirty five goals with the Ducks. I mean, think about that's like, that's the impressive thing. That's insane, right? I mean, because Getzlaff's been there a lot longer. Jacob Silverberg's goal that was scored last night. Um, I thought it was really, it was really cool that Keith Jones pointed out. Uh, did you see right afterwards what he pointed out? Because they were all like, "Oh, you know, this masterful thing that they put Getzlaff, Perry, and Silverberg on the ice together." Well, Jones, Jones pointed it out perfectly, and we watched the highlight. You can see this. It's Raquel. They, they put that out there, and then because of the matchup line, Trotz, not Trotz, um, Carlisle called Silverberg and Perry off the ice. Perry jumped right back off the ice. Kessler jumped on because they were defending against, you know, against somebody. They're defending McDavid, right? And then the puck goes into the corner. It looks like it's an icing, by the way. That was definitely – could have been an icing, easily an icing. That, that was ice worse than the other Rangers one in my mind. So this one – so it's not an icing. Silverberg starts skating towards the bench. And even though he's skating towards the bench, but he sees the giveaway at that point by Larson, turns around and skates back in and shoots. He was not – it was a great move, but it wasn't designed. To be to be like you know it was basically that Silverberg Silverberg made the great play by by noticing yeah an opportunity on the giveaway he and shifted out yeah so that was cool now so tonight we I guess finally we'll leave with this that we have um you know we obviously have the big one oh another thing too anything better than game four overtime so I was just thinking about this last night too I tweeted it out too but I think of all the moments in the NHL playoffs game besides obviously game seven overtimes which is the next goal wins the series. Game four overtimes are so crazy intense because of the because of the ramifications of going to two two or three one are just huge. I mean, it, the difference between two two and three one are just everything. You know, like one series is almost over, another series is totally mm -hmm. done. One shot. You know, I think that game four overtimes. No, I think that's fair. Most stressful time, except for game seven overtimes, of course. But you know, people were quick to point that out. Game seven was more stressful. But you know, okay, I understand that. But I'm just saying. I mean, I think for tonight's game, really, Senators need to win. Loose puck battles. They need to get there before the Rangers, or yeah. or obstruct them before the Rangers get there. The Rangers' speed was too much for him in the last game, and we'll see if Boucher's got another answer. Because even if even if Vigneault keeps everything the same, which he's likely to do, it's up to Boucher now to counter. Otherwise, he could lose this series. Based, he could start going downhill in this series. I th Russ, I think it was actually not less their speed, the Rangers, than it was their passing ability. Their their passing was was tic-tac-toe, really quick, yeah. really, you know, get it to the guy who's coming out of the zone. It caught it caught Ottawa on their heels. And once they got up 4 nothing, I mean, I know they came back and got that goal to respond and, you know, just get off the get off the schneid. Um, I you know, they were in control of that game all all, all the way. And I I'll, I'll say one thing. Craig Anderson is had better come up a lot much bigger than he has in the last two games because he allowed five goals and they should have lost in game two and he allowed four yeah. and you know one of them was directly his fault the one that we went behind the net so I mean they they're gonna need Craig Anderson to have one of those stand on your head type games for them to win game four at MSG. I mean if Peugeot had four goals is it crazy to think that Tanner Glass could have three? Oh, Anyhow uh, the Rangers, you know, just the, when they when they get hot as a scoring team, that's when they're really in trouble because they yeah. they have, they're very streaky, you know. Uh, well, finally, they're hot pretty early on in this game. That's when you'll yeah, you yeah. know. I noticed too. Just to keep an eye on. I don't. I didn't see anybody else mention it, but there was the um the play in the Edmonton Anaheim game before they tied it up with about like a minute before, maybe two minutes before they tied it up at the end when Edmonton tied it up, where McDavid takes a flash at Gibson, mm -hmm. gets his glove pretty good. Gibson really looks like he, it hurt him a lot. After that, two pucks shot at Gibson's gloves, he misses. He mishandles both of them. He mishandled it, 
Here's the thing about the mishandled glove thing, though, and I've talked about this before. Sometimes guys get to a puck that is impossible to actually glove, but they, but it just, it, but it's better that they hit it than if they don't hit it. Yeah, but both of these were not; these were routine plays to me. I mean, to me, I don't know. Was that was that one that you're talking about routine? I watched it a couple times. I don't know if that was routine. I don't know. I mean, it was in tight and it handcuffed him. I think. I'm really curious because you know you get slashed in the hand there. That yes. really affects your glove hand, and yeah. you know, and you're not coming out of the game at that point. You know, ask Cujo. He he played with a broken hand. Yeah, so I'm really yeah. curious. I think that that's going to be something to watch in the next game. Okay. Really I have one more thing too. I forgot this yeah. for Edmonton Oilers fans. Something that they've been maligned about, and people talk about it. Uh, Ethan Bear, who plays for um, the Seattle Thunderbirds, who right now is just on a roll. He's got 16 points in 11 playoff games, but he also won. WHL Defenseman of the Year. He was a fifth-round pick in 2015, only 19. So uh -huh. there could be, you know, an offensive defenseman in a few years for them. So that's nice. They may have found some gold in the fifth round. We'll see. Uh, Bobby, Bobby Ryan will be in tonight, according to reports. Tom yes. Pyatt will return. Zach Smith is a game-time decision. So well, it's better that they have Ryan than Smith. I mean, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. You had to choose. All right, we'll be back again tomorrow, guys. Um, stay tuned for the time. It's, it's could be it's Fridays. You know, we move around a little bit on Fridays. We don't really know. Yeah, what it's, time. Gonna, it's it's in flux. We don't know what time we're doing it yet ourselves, so we'll figure it out this afternoon and let you all know. Um, but stay tuned. Remember, without the buzz, it is just hockey. We will talk to you tomorrow. Enjoy the game.